What's shaking cats and kittens? Rob Lee here, and today's episode of The Truth in His Art is sponsored by a new online art platform called Fire and Bliss Creative. Fire and Bliss is the first art platform that I've seen that focuses on the art of the LGBTQ plus BIPOC and ally artists exclusively. And I have to say, the pieces are amazing. Whether you're looking specifically to add diverse art to your collection, or you have a space that needs a bit of updating, every single print on fireandbliss.com has been created by a diverse, independent artist who maintains full control over their art and their profit. I work with Fire and Bliss to curate a collection of my favorite pieces, like Somewhere Blue by Wodrich Francois. Shop my favorites at fireandbliss.com backslash truth and get 20% off your first purchase at Fire and Bliss. Again, that's fireandbliss.com backslash truth and use the code truth for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am interviewing local creative, the owner of This Sporting Life. Please welcome Arve Adams. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So we've we've been traveling in different circles. I can shamelessly say that I have many of your pieces in the crib. I am wearing one that was custom done recently. Shout out to you. Um, so, yeah, um, I've been wearing this like every night. So it's like ridiculous. It's like <laughs> I love hearing that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's real. I mean, it's shameless, but it's real. Um, so give us those those vital stats like. You know, your your background, Baltimore, what have you, um, in any experiences that really kind of inform your your creative pursuits? Well, um, Baltimore native, uh, Micah graduate right after Micah moved to New York, worked for Fat Farm, worked in fashion, moved from New York, lived in L.A., kind of did my own thing, started uh, really getting kind of like more into the art scene over on the West Coast. Moved back to New York, um, you know, like you know, pretty much living that artist lifestyle, and then moved back to Baltimore to refresh my batteries yeah. and stay. So you had the you had the experience of Fat Farm. You had the kind of coastal experience and getting the LA and getting to New York. It's not like yeah, I've got part of Washington. I got a little bit of you know Arizona. It's like no, you hit the extremes that are kind oh, of yeah. known known for that 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 ex, that that fashion component and that kind of fame component. So from those experiences in, in living and working there, what 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 kind of gave you that that juice to come back here and ultimately like stay really have did you bring any of some of those lessons that you've learned on those two different coasts and those two different in those in those roles to come back here? Almost definitely. Um you know the Baltimore that I left was a different Baltimore than I came back to. Sure. I mean I was gone for close to 17 years. So you know it was um you know coming back I mean my plan was never to come back to Baltimore. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of like, you know, like been there, done that. And it's like Baltimore slow, nothing happens in Baltimore. But like I said, I came back because I wanted to refresh my batteries, you know, see family, hang out with some friends. And I've noticed that Baltimore was actually changing. And also too, in my head, I was, I'm older now too. So like, you know, the flash and the romanticism of like, you know, bragging the people that you live in these big cities just wall. Yeah. You know, it's like, so what? There's millions of people that live there, you know? And it's just like that whole thing of like being in these bigger cities, no matter what you do, there's somebody doing it better than you or the same level or somebody pulling at your, you know what I'm saying? Pulling on your collar. Yeah. So, you know, it was um, a thing of um, coming back to Baltimore being like, you know, I can actually sit back and uh, I guess, you know, analyze some things 
and spent some time on some things felt that hardcore like hustle kind of put on you because Baltimore like if you dig yourself in a hole I mean you can dig yourself out of it pretty quickly by I don't know driving an Uber or something I, you yeah. know whatever whatever it is that you need to do to make some money you can kind of maintain in Baltimore but some of these bigger cities not so much yeah totally. you know and also too it's a thing where like I said I seen things were growing and things were progressing and DC's down the street New York Philly is up the street yeah. so I was just kind of like you know what this will make a good home base because I mean I am a Baltimore I mean, you know, like I said, I, I live these other places, but, you know, as soon as somebody wants to see something about Baltimore, I'm like, oh, I'm from Baltimore. This was going on in Baltimore. You know, yeah, like, yeah. kind of ward on my, like, you know, war is a badge of honor. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of good to be back. Um, the one thing I would say is being back, what I've noticed about Baltimore is that it's just like, yeah, it's, it, 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 it grows and then it just stays a little stagnant. Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, you know, my whole thing is like why I'm here, I guess, the show people or be part of, I wouldn't say show people, I would say be part of people that aren't cool with being stagnant, people that kind of keep grinding, kind of people that keep doing things. Like, even if you leave, the fact that you can leave and go somewhere else and say you're from here, you got your start here. For a lot of times, people wouldn't even say that much, you know? I, I I think one of the things that you're touching on is one of the things that I look at in, in doing this particular podcast, like I, I look back in some of the early episodes and it's not really that long ago. I'm like, wow, oh, I'd ask a lot of different questions. Now I kind of want to have that one back. And, and it's that desire not to be stagnant and being measured and thoughtful and mindful of like how quickly you're trying to grow and how far you're trying to go from where you maybe have started and doing it in a way that makes sense. Because sometimes people mm-hmm. are like, oh, it's a whole different thing. Now this is a TV show. It's like, no, it's still a podcast. It's still, this is rooted. But where is, how can we change it up and turn it up a notch? Not necessarily several notches. Right. I'm, I'm sure you noticed that Emerald Lagasse reference right there. I don't know if you're a Food Network guy, but I threw one in there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I mean, I get exactly what you're saying. I mean, I, I've learned and I tend to share with people a lot. It's like, you know, when people want to do something, let's just use clothing, for example. Sure. You know, they want to come right out and be polo. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like, well, what about just releasing some T-shirts? How about just doing anything? Like, and also people also use that excuse not to do anything. I mean, stuff like being creative is expensive. Creative, being creative is time consuming. So, you know, like you usually either have mad time or mad money. <laughs> you never really have both. But if you have both, you're just probably going to be polo. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's like, you know, I tell people all the time, it's like, just do something. Like, you don't have to be, you know, this textbook finished product as soon as you come out. And I just see, I, I, I see a lot of people in their creative endeavors feel like, you know, oh, it's got to be perfect. Please show me what perfect is. <laughs> Please someone show me what perfect is. I do that. Like, I've dabbled in a few things outside of podcasting. And like, I have a comic that is out there that people may or may not know of. And when I, when I originally got it done, it's like, maybe I'm changing the artwork. Maybe I want to redo it, but at least you have, I think they call them like, they used to call them like ash can models. And it was mm. essentially like, so you can keep the copyright, but you would do what you wanted it to be. And then you can refine it later. That's my version of that. It's like, this is not the perfect thing. This is not the turnkey thing. Cause that's what we want all the time. This turnkey, right. put it this way, turnkey and scalable. How can I turn this and monetize? It's like, no, you're, you're doing it to create or unless you're doing it to make money, but know why you're doing it. And, and I think right. that's where it gets lost. So, so in that, I, I, I don't want to belabor because I want to get into um, the, the sparring life. So what was the inspiration about that? And what can people expect from, from that work? Cause it's in different places. So give us some of that too. 
Well, um, the sport life pretty much just came about because, I mean, you know, like I, I love sports and I love history. And being from Baltimore, you know, there was a lot of sports and history to pull from. And, um, you know, it was like I also like love design. And it was the, it was probably the easiest vehicle for me for what I was into and wanted to do to actually, like you said, monetize. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, who, like but someone buying a hat, someone buying a T-shirt. You know, it's not like trying to buy a painting room or, you know, say trying to get somebody to get me to design their whole website or something yeah. you know, using my aesthetic. It was just like the easiest and also cheapest, cheapest way to get work in people's hands. So, you know, I mean, it started off that way. But now, I mean, it's grown. It's like, I mean, I have so many interests. I have so many things that are absolutely. I mean, I have so many other skill sets that fit along those interests mm. that I can still introduce into that. Like, I don't know if you've been um, seeing some of the digital paintings I've been posting on Instagram. Yeah. And those are actually for a pro, uh, this sporting life project I'm working on that deals with um, AR, so alternated reality. Yeah. Um, reality and also too it's going to be dealing with um the old school kind of like busting open a pack of cards i got a couple of um card vending machines that will actually you know be blind so you know you put in a buck you get a card it might either be it might be a piece of junk it might be a great card it might be an art card it might be a one of one so it's like all these things that whole thing of like actually being a shopper and being um, i would say almost going back to your like excitement about actually consuming something yeah you know, even on a smaller scale. So I feel like now we're just all consumers anyway. So like, I mean, I I don't know how, like, you know, often I actually really get excited about buying anything that isn't customly made for me or something that I haven't, or I found that I know no one else has. Now, anything outside of that, I'm not excited to shop, you know? <laughs> no, I, I, I legit, legitimately, I agree with that. I, I try to, now a lot of my shopping decisions have come out of conversations that I've had like this. Either it's something that's custom or something that like I know chefs, I'm into cooking, right? And I know chefs and they'll say like, no, you got to get this. And it's like, okay, cool. I'm I'm now super excited for Chef Knife because somebody I had a personal conversation with that was maybe after this podcast is like, you know, you should be getting that, right? It's something that's referred to me. That's the way I look at things. And I think the the card idea, that's fire. I was thinking about something very similar to that recently um, with uh, well, and even calendars. With uh, some of the people that I've been talking to in there, it's just like, yo, celebrate these things. Do something like I think the key thing that you touched on, the excitement, right? So, yes, things feel disposable because they're digital. And sometimes you have something in your hand. And that's really, I think, what you're tapping into is that nostalgia, tapping into that and tapping into that tangible thing like. On uh, Christmas, I brought one of the uh, the koozies in, and my girl's kid was like, "Yo, this is Lamar joint." I was like, "Look at the back of." He's like, "Oh, word! My man hand stitched this." I was like, "You know, we we do things." That was the way I said it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that's that's definitely there, and it's just tapped in. And this is where it gets really funny. My girl was like wrapping up gifts. She pulled out a hat, and she thought it was for our son. It was one of your joints, and it turned out to be for me. And she's like, "I fucked that up. That was for you because I know you fucks with his stuff." And I was like, "Exactly." Exactly. But it had so, that excitement there and it had that. I want to make sure I get this right because your stuff had that vibe of this is for a specific person and this rocks. And it's like, yo, this this says you. That was what she said. She was like, no, this is definitely a hat for you. And I think it was oh, the uh, glad to hear that. I think it was the all black like Baltimore joint with the with the uh, the black, the uh, gold. No, sorry. The uh, orange B on it. 
Orange yep. circle with the black V in the center. Yeah, oh, yeah. Baltimore Black Sox. Absolutely. Because I used to get the Negro League um, hats back in the day. Oh, yeah. So describe chain stitching. That's one of the things that I know that you're like popular for, big on. So how does it differ from like <laughs> yeah, stitching right. that we, we come across generally? Well, um, chain stitch is a decorative stitch. I mean, it's been used to hold things together like regular stitching because it can be done fast. But the thing about it is that once that link is broken, like the garment doesn't become, you know, it's not nearly as sturdy. So it's not a lock stitch, but it's become a decorative stitch. So like it was really big. I mean, I learned and got into it, even though prior I seen it and didn't care anything about it, like on bowling shirts, yeah. you know, like motorcycle things and call culture things, you know, like back then when I was a kid, you know, it was like, yeah. that's cool, but I didn't know anything about it. But the thing that brought me back into it is I got deeper and deeper into studying like uh, sports uniforms, sports logos and everything. You know, I revisited. I'm just kind of like, man, you know, like that's that's a great look. And um, I start noticing the difference between computer generated chain stitch and hand chain stitch. Yeah. Ebbets Fields is like great for like it was an introduction to that. And like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of them, but like, you know, they're kind of like when it comes to replicating old sports stuff, they're kind of like the top of the top. I dig it. But um, going back, um, yeah. So like, I noticed like the difference between what I thought was just hand chain stitch from computer based off Evans. And I was just like, man, always wanted to learn how to do it. But you know, the thing of buying a machine, number one, finding a machine man, when I first got introduced to it, like good luck with that. Um, buying one and then the learning curve. So it was a thing of like, you know, always in the back of my head, like one day, one day, one day. And then um, uh, you ever heard of the company Solab? Yes. Local. So yeah. I was one of the um, owners, Jeremiah, um, he was being gifted some sewing machines. So I actually went with him to help him, like, you know, load up the sewing machines. And I noticed in the corner of the chainsaw machine. I'm like, what's up with that? <laughs> I was like, you guys giving that one away? They was like, oh, we haven't touched that thing in 50 years. Sure, you can take it. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, you know, I'm like, wow, this is great. And the, and the machine lived his whole life in Baltimore. So it's like, you know, it's done anything from like workwear in Baltimore, yeah. police uniforms, fire uniforms, EMS, like anything in that time frame from the last time they used it, it's touched in Baltimore. So, so that's another little great thing about it. So what you're saying is it had that light on it where you came just like, Yo, what's up with that one in the corner? <laughs> I mean, the, even like for me to even notice what it was, right? you know, like five years prior, I wouldn't even, I would have been like, eh. So <laughs> like it's an old song machine. <laughs> so you, you were touching, you touched on, and I don't want to forget this. You touched on like, like sports logos and stuff like that. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, um, real quick, what are like three sports logos that pop for you? It could be any generation. It could be any sport. What, what are those logos oh, that dude, pop for you? Too many. I oh, know. so many. Uh, cause you know what it is really, it's like, um, uh, how it vibes with the name. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. more obscure, the like more I'm into it. Like I just I recently seen this one, um, uh, there was a bathhouse in Utah that had a baseball team and they were the bathers. <laughs> like, and it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like some like dough boy, like dough boy, like smiling, like trying to self off on the cat. That's great. So it's like stuff like that. I mean, of course, you know, in Baltimore, so like, you know, anything old school cults, anything old school, anything Baltimore, I'm a I, fan of. I'm going to this one at you. Um, yeah, Skip Jacks. I mean, I love that logo. What about the Baltimore, oh, Baltimore Clippers. The first Baltimore Bullets stuff. I mean, you remember the Baltimore I, Claws though? Was that again? Do you remember the Baltimore Claws? Oh, yeah. So I did a whole project based on them. What I was doing, studying it, it was like, you know, because during that time, you know, in the 90s, everybody was taking that kind of stuff and flipping it and yeah. trying to like modernize it. 
So, you know, I was just like, man, I didn't want to just do the regular Baltimore classes. Like, I wasn't sure if that was the original logo at first. Right. Some of the colors were like, you know, it was the original logo, but the colors were all what everybody was, the, what I got introduced to. Yeah. So I found the colors, but then finding the true colors, I actually thought that used to be called the Baltimore Hustlers. Nice. And when he played three games known as the Baltimore Hustlers, but they changed the name. And that's when they became the Baltimore Claws because they didn't want the negative connotation of being the Hustlers. So, we, so I did a whole project on the Baltimore Hustlers. What's that again? So we've had that happen twice because like the bullets were here or what have you initially. And, exactly. And one thing that pops for me locally speaking in terms of like iconography and logos, the like classic Baltimore Blast joint. Fire. Oh, yeah. Fire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I've done a couple of caps with that. That I got to be careful with. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like they left the logo, became something else, brought it back, you know, so I still flip it. I mean, it's slightly different. I use the one that we grew up on, but you know, I don't use it too often because you know, it's like, yeah, there's a one-off. It's like, Oh, hmm, I got more mail. I see. Oh, is that a cease and desist letter? (laughs) (laughs) Which is another thing too. It's like, you know, like dealing, dealing with this because I work in a gray area. You know, it's like, you know, the only thing that really makes it interesting, if it, I mean, I can do a spin if you like a super fan, you know, like if you know all the little ins and outs and the backstories of things. Yeah. And that's super cool because I get to do that sometime. But the main thing would get somebody is if they, if, they, if they remember what they remember from it as a kid. Yeah. You know, when you just become that, like, you know, that eight year old kid again. So, you know, I said, I do. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm a professional at trademark law, but I mean, dude, I yeah, I mean, you got to know what you're getting yourself into. Totally. So I do a lot of research even on that. I remember I remember back in the day, like this is the Albert Bell years. So you mm-hmm. gonna, you're probably gonna know what I'm talking about here when they did the futuristic jerseys. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> they worked, but then they didn't. Like it was weird. They were ugly. <laughs> they but, were but, ugly. But, but I they mean, don't now. Yeah, right. Right, because it's like hmm, needs a little bit of a refresh here, and I'm looking at my custom Orioles like jersey mounted on my wall that I can't fit because it's too big now. Because I was, you know, everyone was just in a Saint Lunatics video in like the mid 2000s. It's like, oh this yeah, is just too big. I've sold a lot of jerseys. I was like, I'm not a two day sex nothing. I'm like, why do I have like why do I have this dress? <laughs> it's like I gotta tuck this in, my guy. Right. <laughs> um. So, did you have any early entrepreneurial experiences, like maybe when you were a kid when you were younger? Oh, yeah. I used to sell candy in high school. <laughs> Same. So, yeah, like um, I had a grandfather that had uh, a liquor store, like a city liquor store. Yeah. So I would just go over there and grab candy, you know, bring it to school, sell it, had, had candy on every lot, every floor, had a lock. You know, I just pay somebody in candy for their locker. So I would say, like, you know, always like a little bit of a side hustle. I wouldn't say that. Um, I mean, I wish I was a better business person. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of more of a business person out of necessity because let's get if you're creative, the less you have deep pockets or somebody supporting you, it's kind of like, you know, you kind of got to monetize the the creativity, I guess you should say. You got to monetize the work so you can keep going because it's not cheap. So mm-hmm. I would say, um, yeah, it was always that. I would say uh, the candy thing. Um, I had a skateboard company. Um, black back when everybody was like black people don't skateboard, and this was around when Supreme was first picking up. Yeah, so I was like, you know, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I was running in those crowds for a little bit. I wouldn't say like hardcore, but I was around doing that whole Soho streetwear development scene. Yeah, skateboard and pushing around um, that, and then I went from there in LA, and actually I had uh, a good friend of mine, Logan Hicks, him and I, we started a cell phone. Uh, media, co- not media company, I would say content. 
yeah. where you would download wallpapers and all that. Yeah, yeah. Like pretty much early on, I would say um, early 2000s, you were downloading wallpapers, paying for them, you were paying us. So, you know, as soon as the uh, smartphones came out, though, that was done. So, you know, I always had this whole thing with tech and also too, like just figured out ways to monetize my creativity as well. The way that you described that made me think of uh, that hip hop documentary when uh, I think it was um, DMC. He's like, I heard Rakim and I was like, Shh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, I got one more real question before I get to some rapid fire ones for you. Um, okay. From your standpoint, um, you, you touched on the, 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 the chain stitch like machine has been around forever. Um, and just kind of other things talked about tech a moment ago, what have you wallpapers and all that good stuff. What would you say is the greatest modern invention that you kind of use regularly? I mean, don't be gauche. So a cell phone, that, that's fucking stupid. But what is the, the greatest modern invention that has had an impact on you as a creative and as an entrepreneur? <clears throat> I mean, I'm not supposed to say a cell phone, but I mean, honest to God, truth, it probably is. Because I don't think I use the cell phone. I mean, I, uh, now today, I use the cell phone. I shouldn't even say phone. Sure. I mean, it's it's a, my little personal computer. You know, I mean, I always have ones that have high processing power. I run creative apps, actually mm. um, draw on my phone. I manipulate images on my phone. Like, you know, like it's really a extension of my computer. So I would say like, you know, the, it happens to be, I happen to be able to talk on it, but it, for the way I work, I mean, it helps me a lot. And also too, it's like, you know, being, uh, always looking for re like uh, resources and like, you know, it, I don't have to go to the library, you know, like I actually, you know, like I think of so I find something, I hear a name, like, you know, like I found out Richard Pryor was from Bedoya, Indiana, yeah. and I found a hockey team from there and did a hat based on Richard Pryor's hometown's hockey team. Yeah. It's like, you know, like stuff like that, because just you hear something uh, and it's right there in my hand. I can just do the research. I can do the design. And within, you know, an hour or two, I can actually have a product. That's, and it's all legit. because, you know, it's like access to no matter where I'm at when that idea hits me that I have this thing in my hand. That's that's legit. I think. Yeah, I was I was Goshen saying not, not a phone, but I think in in that the way that you articulate it, it's very similar to, I think, what uh, James Nasty said on the first episode of this podcast. He was like, no, I do everything through this. He's like, you know, I schedule, I do my meetings. This is my assistant. It's everything. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think it's it has its pitfalls with it because it's like with that oh. access to everything, you have access to everything. Like I never stop, you know, it's yeah. like. <laughs> If I had to go to the library, it might take some days off. <laughs> That's a lot of books here. Um, right. So in this last few minutes, I got I got some rapid fire questions for you. And the way that this works is I'm going to ask you a question and you just hit me with the answer. You don't have to provide any extra context unless you think it's really necessary. Gotcha. All right. First one. And I think because we're both wearing them right now, I think this is going to be an interesting answer. What is your favorite accessory to wear? Who <laughs> <laughs> Um. Um, of, of the ones that you've traveled to, what is your sp- favorite sports venue? Oh, Oriole Park, Camden Yards. Gang. Beautiful. Gang. This is a great question right here. This is a little trolley because we're on the same page. How many losses will the Orioles have this year? Oh, <laughs> that was a shot, wasn't plus. it? 90 plus. I'm already <laughs> expecting it. 
It's like they done. Yeah, like, so he's spring training yet, <laughs> and that's going to be my end for about at least another three years, ninety plus. I saw the thing earlier said they're moving the um, left field wall back to stop uh, outlier home runs. I was like, yeah, they're just going to be longer ones. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, last two, and well, actually, last one because you already answered this one and with the um the modern invention one. What is your what's the rarest piece of sports memorabilia that you have in your possession? Is it a card? Is it a jersey? Like game gameplay ball? Um, that's actually a hard one. Um, because I mean, like, I have a lot of sports cards, so I would say probably the rarest probably will be one of the sports cards. Sure. But I think um, I think my my favorite that I actually bought <laughs> for myself, like you know, as a gift to myself, was that first Ravens ticket, first game I ever played. Nice whole ticket. It's not graded because I didn't know anything about that thing. But I would say, like, that's the one where I kind of, like, always know where that thing's at. I always have tabs on it. Absolutely. Like, I can grab it at any minute. <laughs> that's great. That's great. I mean, one of the ones I have is ridiculous. And I met the dude and I got him to sign it. Um, I got a signature from one of my favorite wrestlers. Got his autograph on this 8x10. And he wanted to take a picture with me. And I was too fanned out. I was like, nah, I, I can't do right? that. I was like, I don't think I could do that, Nakamura son. And he's just like, no, take a picture. He, and he just finished a match. I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> so um, that's that's all <laughs> I had. It's um, Shinsuke Nakamura. No, who's the wrestler? Uh, Shinsuke okay. Nakamura. You yeah. did say that. All right. And um, yeah, I saw him at his last uh, indie show and I didn't watch the match. I waited in line so I could be the first person. <laughs> hey, man, that's what fandom is. It, real. real. It's cool I, to have heroes. Absolutely. So I want to leave right there. Um, and I want to invite you to plug anything you got, website, social media, all of that good stuff. So people can check out your work and buy some damn stuff. Oh, word. Yeah. Well, Arve, well, IG, Arve Adams and this sporting life. And the website is just sportinglife.org. So there you have it, folks. And this this brief accelerator, but I think we got some things covered. Um, yeah. So this is. We um, finally got it done. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen each other in real life. I was like, hey, man, I think you hate me. What up? <laughs> <laughs> so for um, for Arve Adams of This Sporting Life, I am Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around Baltimore. And you just got to look for it. <laughs>